Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to the Billboard Sharpie Podcast. Gary Trust, Billboard Senior Director of Charts. And hey guys, it's Trevor Anderson, a chart manager here at Billboard. And with us this week, uh, Andrew Unterberger, Senior Editor on the digital side of Billboard.com. Is it okay if we talk about me this week? Uh, always always ready to talk about me. What, or, what are or the you, leading Gary? questions? Yeah, no, very good. Very Toby the, Keith over there. Not me. Me. The song. Me, me exclamation mark. Uh, so yeah, we're going to be talking me, the song, Taylor Swift, uh, first week of really impacting the Hot 100 after it debuted uh, last week at number 100 just based on airplay. So we will talk about the race uh, for number one this week on the Hot 100. And uh, we think it's the lead single from TS7, her seventh uh, studio album. So we're going to look back. Best lead singles from albums over the last 25 years. Andrew, I know you're uh, sort of the, uh, the the historian of 90s and O's around here. So well, I right appreciate house, that right? designation, Gary. Yeah. I, I didn't realize I was given that authority, but I'll, I'll happily take it. So uh, we'll get into all that. Uh, we'll start, as always, with this week's top 10 on the Billboard Home 100. 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Number 10. Can we just talk? Number Six. I want it, I got it, I want it, I got it, I want it, I got it. You like my hair? Gee, thanks, just got it. 
number five. Then you're left in the dust, unless I stuck by ya. You. You're a sunflower. I think your love will be too much, or you'll be left in the dust. Number four. I'm a sucker for you. Number three. It's a moment when I show up, got I'm saying wow. Honey, bands in my pocket, it's on me. Yeah, your grandma more probably know me. Get more bottles, these bottles are lonely. It's a moment when I show up, got I'm saying wow. Number two. Promise that you'll never find another like me. Number one. Yeah, I'm gonna take my horse to the old town road. I'm gonna ride till I can't no more. I'm gonna take my horse to the old town road. I'm gonna ride till I can't no more. I got the horses in the back. All right, that's the sound of the Old Town Road galloping to a fifth week at number one on the Billboard Hot 100. Lil Nas X featuring Billy Ray Cyrus. I mean, at this point, you know the story of how everything has gone down with the song. Huge in streaming, and once again, that is really what keeps it on top. Uh, 104 million streams, so it's starting to come back down. If you remember a few weeks ago, it's at the all-time record at just under 143 million streams. So we're stepping back, getting a little closer to Earth each week, but obviously 100 million, still enormous, enormous numbers. So a long way to go, uh, and Lil Nas is still riding clean at the top. And hits the top 10 on the radio songs chart this week. So uh, jumps from number 12 to number 6. And just its fourth week, that's actually the fastest jump into the top 10 of radio songs for a debut hit since Megan Trainer. Wow. All about that bass. Uh, you guys are both fairly diligent radio listeners, if I remember correctly. Have you heard the song much on the radio? I've heard it a couple times. I heard okay. it this weekend. The tough thing about it is if I've heard the original version and I just heard the Billy Ray Cyrus remix. Uh, yeah. The original, you have like a minute and a half to hear. Yeah, it. so well, it's kind maybe, of maybe, maybe that's. That I, I've been, you know, I've been flipping around recently, and I have not been able to catch this and catch it on top forty. I've not caught it on hip hop. All right, well, Ooh. good for Lil Nas X. I mean, we 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 haven't heard many of the streaming, you know, the kind of the the, the, the classic streaming hip hop hits really take off on radio like this to this kind of velocity. So, um, I'm glad to see it's getting that kind of embrace. Uh, you guys know what happened in the Kentucky Derby, right? Uh, I know that the uh, the, the winner was disqualified. Uh, for, for, for reasons I don't quite understand due to my lack of depth of horse racing knowledge. I just want to say uh, thank you to the Kentucky Derby because now uh, Billboard has the second most controversial uh, decision Ooh, of a well, weird well, place of horse in did 2019. You, did you see that, wow. uh, that, that Lil Nas X himself uh, tweeted a joke to that effect? It was just a quote tweet about somebody's article about what happened at the Derby and he said, I know how you feel, maximum security. <laughs> and so... Never, never misses an opportunity, that no, Lil Nas X. He's still, a, a master marketer. I mean, years from now, I'm sure we'll still be on the receiving end of a lot of those punches. Uh, so uh, number one on the Hot 100 for a fifth week 
And yeah, the big battle was, uh, was Old Town Road going to stay number one or was Taylor Swift me going to jump, uh, become the first song ever to go from number 100 to number one. So uh, debuted last week uh, just from Airplay and this week sales and streaming uh, factored in for the first time. And it wasn't, wasn't entirely close. It was a race, but uh, comfortably ahead. For, uh, for Old Town Road finishes uh, at number one. So uh, sales were huge for Taylor Swift, 193,000 for the week. That's the biggest uh, for any song since she sold uh, 353,000 in 2017 with Look What You Made Me Do. Uh, here's kind of where the difference uh, is. Uh, Look What You Made Me Do started with 84 million streams. Uh, Me starts with just about 50 million. So Kind of a drop-off, kind of noticeable uh, drop-off. As huge as the sales. Kind of a drop-off. That's, that's a pretty, <laughs> pretty noticeable uh, drop-off. And it, kind of wondering what way we should really uh, look at this, uh, looking at the numbers that the song had on the Hot 100. Uh, me would have been number one in all but five of the 19 weeks so far this year. So part of it is uh, timing. It winds up stuck behind the Old Town Road, which is just such a huge hit, is, uh, is the narrative that uh, is number two and uh, just – not a number one, or is it that it ran into Old Town Road? And and again, uh, how much of it? How much of it is a surprise, uh, Andrew? Do you think that uh, that the streaming was was really a lot less than Look What You Made Me Do? Yeah, I mean, well, we were joking about it in one of the meetings. I think late last week about oh well, you know, underdogs, you know, scrappy underdog Taylor Swift doesn't doesn't stand a chance against a juggernaut like Lil Nas X, which is it's pretty funny to think about at this point. Uh, to, you know, obviously Taylor Swift, uh, one of the most celebrated and successful Hot 100 artists of the last. Well, certainly the last 10 years. Uh, and, you know, this song, yeah, I think I think it had a couple things working against it. Uh, it, it is – it does sound more like a song designed for radio than one for streaming. You know, it doesn't really have that kind of 2019, you know, sort of hip-hop inflected post-genre sensibilities. It feels like a big pop song, a big pop rock song, if anything, really. and actually feels more in line sonically with what uh, her collaborator Brendan Urie of Panic at the Disco has been doing the last few years and actually having su- a success on radio equivalent to any of the really big Taylor Swift singles from that period. So it, it seems like that was the direction she kind of went with it is, is to eventually hit one of those sort of top 40 saturation pop songs that you know just is unavoidable on radio for the next six months. And you know, I'm, 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 it seems like she's off to a pretty good start there and we'll see where it goes from there. But also, you know, when you compare the numbers to Look What You Made Me Do, I think it was almost bound to pale in comparison just because look what, the curiosity around Look What You Made Me Do. I mean, we've talked about this before, but uh, really comparable with only a handful of songs that I can remember of, of, of this decade. And just in terms of like, oh, my God, where is she, what is she going to do next? Because 1989 was such a gigantic success and the controversy between her and, and Kanye and Kim Kardashian and then the, the whole Snapchat gate had, had added such a narrative wrench to her career. Uh, and but yet, you know, she still was on this this level that only a handful of pop stars this decade have been at. And so every, everyone was just kind of curious how she was going to respond. And she had done a, a total media blackout that had lasted years, maybe. Yeah. So at least it felt like years at the time. Uh, and so it just it just felt like man like like what is she gonna do when she gets back? And then you know you saw the title, you saw the, the social media stuff with the snakes. You say you know you heard rumors about you know her working in more of a hip hop direction, and it was like oh like like every you you really couldn't guess where this was going, and it was gonna it was very obviously gonna be the biggest story of of the year minus perhaps the fact that it was going up against Despacito for the all time Hot 100 record, uh, but. This new song, 
you know, it's uh, it's it's like eighteen months after Look What You Made Me Do, something like that. Maybe not, maybe maybe more than that, but but not not of the full two years and change. Or yeah, I wonder if that's even throwing people off. It's, this is it feels it feels fall. soon, right? right it, it does because yeah. I mean because Delicate lasted for a pretty long time into twenty eighteen, and obviously the Reputation tour was such a big story, and, and the success that that was that that felt like we were talking about it until the end of the year. It feels like we were om- we're, we're, we're barely even done wrapping the cycle on Reputation. And now it's time to just kind of start the machine over again. Uh, so I think all of that goes into to, to this maybe not being so – it, does, it doesn't feel like, like the anticipation is as breathless as it was with Look What You Made Me Do because it's Taylor Swift and 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 because you know she, she, she plays the game better than anybody else too. Like there obviously was going to be a big response to it. And look, going from 100 to 2 in a big week, that's never been done before. You know, that's, uh, that's impressive in its own right. But the fact that it wasn't a number one, it's it's understandable. Yeah, I mean, I think the the whole point about the narrative, I mean, Taylor Swift, for better or worse, or whether she wants to admit it or not, or realize it, has always benefited from from narrative. So there's always something about the comeback, whether it was her first pop album and Shake It Off, you know, what's that, what's that going to be like? Look What You Made Me Do obviously had the built-in narrative of everything that had happened in the Kim Kanye gate, everyone turning against her, you know, she's, she's the outcast and how she strikes back. This song doesn't have that same kind of weight to it in any in any sort of way, and I think it's almost kind of interesting that she went on um, ABC like hours before the song came out, and this the song wasn't sort of just the event itself was the song. It sort of felt like it had to be drummed up a little, like, hey, I'm back, I'm going to do some interviews, I'm going to really go back into regular press mode. I know a lot of people who also, um, I mean, it, the, the song throws them off in a way that's very... You know, I mean, it's it's a very fun song. It's sort of, I guess, if you, I'd say you've put cotton candy on a record. That's kind of what this sounds like. But for some people, it, it's Taylor Swift's about to be thirty years old. It's a song that is sort of, I don't know, for for someone's seventh album, feels a little like not. Maybe this is a first album kind of debut song. Get out there. It seems. I think for some people, that's that's what felt weird about it to mm-hmm. them. Was was it almost was just. The bridge doesn't, you know, is it, the spelling is fun. Yeah. Bridge is very like w- weird for I don't know a thirty year old to be doing, and that's kind of a maybe a weird critique to have. But whatever people are th- out there thinking is, you know, that's that's sort of valid in itself. To me, it sounds like I, I think of it more as as a song that was maybe meant for like a soundtrack or something. I think that's where it would have fit in better. Because to me, in a way, I think this could have a good life actually on on adult contemporary radio. I think it'd be, I think it's a song that's fun enough for kids. Fun enough for moms who are driving around needing something on the radio for their kids who would get into it. So it kind of has that younger demographic and it hits that older one. But it's just that middle ground that I think is is, is lost by this. Right. Yeah. Uh, but so, uh, but in, in terms of the, the the quality of the song and and, and how it correlates to maybe feeling like a soundtrack single. And uh, I, I've heard two. I think I, I agree. First off, that it's you know it's not my favorite Taylor Swift lead single, certainly. But uh, I think there's two interesting sort of counter arguments in, in defense of it. One is that. Uh, the, the, lead, the lead single for Taylor Swift album is historically kind of misleading uh, in, in terms yes, of what, it, what sure. it pretends for the album to, to come. Uh, you know, Shake It Off was a little brassier and, and less, you know, 80s and inflected than the rest of 1989 was. Look What You Made Me Do was a little darker and synthier and more hip-hop inflected than the rest of Reputation was. Uh, so, I mean, you, you, you don't necessarily get the, the full Taylor album uh, from, from its lead single in any event. Uh, and I was talking to one of our, of our freelance writers here today, Bill, who's actually a very big fan of, of, of me, the song. Uh, and he says, look, there's a lot of darkness on the radio right now. There's a lot of gloom. There's a lot of pouting. There's a lot of sullenness and, and you know, there's, 
heavy introspection and heavier productions. And is, is there anything really wrong with a little frivolity for balance? And I think that's a fair point. Well, I mean, she made it very actively that that was what her narrative was. She wanted to go after that was she wanted, you know, she was saying to Robin Roberts at ABC that, you know, we have the ability to get melodies stuck in people's heads. And mm-hmm. why not use that opportunity and that platform to get something fun and bouncy and catchy and enjoyable if something has to be stuck in your head, why make it, you know, so awful and, yeah. and negative? So it is a real, it's a conscious effort to sort of shift, if you want to say, the entire pop landscape into something a little more optimistic. You know, can Taylor Swift do that? As as mighty and powerful as Taylor Swift is, can she single-handedly do that? Well, at the same time, number one on the radio songs chart in the top 40 is Sucker by Jonas Brothers. Sure. It's the year of Ava Max. So maybe this really is. <laughs> the year of Ava, year of Ava Max, Max. Uh, as it will be forever remembered, yeah. yes. But that, uh, it could be some sort of uh, – we had a lot of the SoundCloud yeah. rap uh, last year and uh, just the natural cycle of things. Yeah, and there's something to be said for that. I mean, I, I, was, I was definitely very curious going into this single whether or not she would – whether she would sort of try to follow more in the lead of an Ariana Grande or a Billie Eilish and kind of respond to what they're doing and, and maybe kind of you know counter with her with her own thing and I, I, I was sort of thinking I, I, it didn't occur to me that this would be the way that she would do it in terms of going so so dramatically in the pro pop direction uh, or you know not, not that those other people aren't making pop too they are but in more of the kind of conventional uh, sort of the, the, the big machine pop and, and, and everything that, that represents. Uh, so it, it's it's interesting to me that this is this is sort of her her entree back into the into the pop world of 2019, which is already even very different than she last left it in 2017. Uh, I, I I don't know if this is going to go down as one of her all time greats, uh, and and it'll be interesting to see what what kind of response radio has to it. If it if her initial plans and sort of you know setting radio in her sights and saying okay we're 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 gonna we're gonna do something unignorable here, uh, if, if that pays off with a song that's as popular as High Hopes was. Uh, We'll see. Let's also not forget that this, you know, nothing's in a vacuum. So I, I mean that in the sense that for so long, so much of Taylor Swift's singles were allegedly about certain people who had done her wrong and this and that. And it seems like even just from the few magazine pieces that she's done this year for LUK and everything, she seems to be in a very good place in her life. Mm-hmm. Steady boyfriend for a couple of years now, at least. There's, there's not nearly as much drama or controversy. Obviously, the Kim Kanye thing is, I mean, hard to believe that was... Was coming like, up about over like, almost three years, three and a half ish years feels ago. a lot longer ago than that at this point, yeah. Um, but if, if you know, so there's not there's not sort of that same kind of intrigue and narrative, and maybe she doesn't have that perspective to write ab- about. And also, you know, talking about Taylor trying to sort of shift people's mindsets and what's going on in the world. Let's not forget that this is you know um, really her first release since she became much more politically active if you want to call it that on social media obviously coming out for some of the democratic candidates so i think for somebody to to sort of try and project that message of you know hey get out let's get out and vote let's support these people and then to turn around and do something i don't know kind of uh, what, what do you want to call it mysterious or downtrodden or you know uh, sad or you know moody on as her next song might be a, a sort of mixed message about okay we were all you know about rallying together six months ago and now we just gave up on that or so in in a way it, you know it, it really does kind of continue for better or worse a narrative that she's started you know in the past six to eight months yeah you look at uh i'm just thinking career wise too uh about a dozen years in now uh, to her career uh where were other uh big acts at the time and not just to pit uh pop stars against each other but uh that's kind of like where madonna was in the mid 90s but mm-hmm. a, a dozen years in uh, mariah in the early 2000s and some similarities where uh, they'd still uh, put stuff out and it would be it would be an event 
maybe not an automatic number one, but still a huge hits uh, on the Hot 100. So kind of seems like uh, you know, you're in that upper uh, level of superstars where uh, if we're talking a dozen years in and it's still, uh, is this going to be number one? Still a huge hit. Uh, that's a, a level that few people actually get to. Like, yeah, we're talking about a number two hit. <laughs> and, I, and I guess I, I think about that just in terms of, you know, I mean, a few, well, I guess maybe years ago at this point, we were all, you know, I mean, Lady Gaga, Katy Perry. Um, I mean, they weren't coming close to, you know, I mean, Miley Cyrus even, you know, scratching top 10. And the fact that Taylor is automatically a number two and we're all like, whoa, is this the end? You know, is this? It's a very good chart week for pretty close to literally anybody else on the planet. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's just, I mean, people who've been out, you know, came out after her have fallen apart faster than she has. So like, and all things considered, I mean, we're talking about a number two hit, worst case, which still very possibly could go number one. And, and I mean, it should, should probably be said that, you know, I mentioned delicate earlier, like that, that probably goes down as, as the longest lasting hit off of reputation. Oh, yeah. Uh, and I, I, I can't remember what it peaked at, but it wasn't anywhere close to number one, but it, it was number go, 12, number 12. Yeah. Slow build. But and, that, that's probably going to go yeah. down as kind of a, a signature song for this period. So, you know, the n- number one, uh, you know, it's obviously nice to get it. It makes for a nice, uh, kind of, you know, something for the sticker for the CD, so to speak. Uh, but oh, I like you mentioning the sticker on the oh, CD. Well. <laughs> Good old Dating sticker. myself a little bit there, but, uh, you know, it, 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 it doesn't have to be a number one to be an important part of her discography. And I think uh, the true test for that is still to come. And weirdly, the number one from that album yeah, maybe is, is not, not, not going to age, you know, in any degree. Were you obsessed with stickers on CDs and tapes years ago, Andrew? No, I was I was obsessed with how annoying they were to, to scratch off when, when I was trying to open my CDs and, you know, just get, get the... Get to get to the liner notes and the, the actual but they were on plastic. You'd, you'd keep yeah, but some of them were. The but they're, they're also those ones that were kind of on the on the top of the binding. Yeah, and, and those well, especially like, if you didn't buy them like if they weren't shrunk wrap, like if you bought them like at a at a used store or something right. like that, they would be there. And if they had like the little pull tab, and you're supposed to be able to just pull it right off, but you can't do it. I mean, I guess that, 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 that's not, that's not like the official sticker, I guess. But uh, you know, you know, the, the, this is now like very in the weeds of this of uh, the, the, the jewel case industry. But uh, yeah, they would have that little, that little part on the top of the CD case where that it was would like have the title. name and the title. Yeah. And you're supposed to be able to just kind of pull it right off, but it always took like, you know, you, you, you maybe got half it off the first try and then you're like scraping with your fingernails trying to get the rest off. Yeah. But this was the sticker where it would say, it would mention like four like, songs. Yeah, no. I mean, Eight I, Grammy I, I, nominations, including But it would mention, it would, it would be, it usually mention the first single first and then three. Yeah. Other, and to me, it was always, wow, these are going to be the four singles in that order. Okay, it's yeah, always no. kind of, is that really it? And then why did, wasn't this one a single? Did you like keep a collection of these stickers? You see, you seem very... <laughs> okay, Gary's giving this smile, by the way, that you can't see, but he very much did. He did. I, I might have a bag wow, somewhere, a very Gary. carefully clipped uh, plastic. No, I, I, I wasn't, I wasn't no, anything like that. I, I, did, I, I did like you know, when, when they would have the critics' quotes or the star ratings on them, and I, I felt definitely like personally hardened once I became a music writer, and I found I, I first saw my first byline on one of those stickers. Uh, who was That was it? pretty cool. Uh, There's an emo artist named Jeff, Jeff Rosenstock. Appreciate you, uh, you, you, you giving me the big ups there. All right, I guess go back to chart stuff. Sure, yeah, let's, let's uh, talk about but, charts. Uh, talking about number uh, two hits, yeah, uh, the problem. Ariana Grande first single mm-hmm. back in two thousand fourteen. Uh, before that, get lucky, Daft Punk number two hit felt maybe bigger than that. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, 5. can we give some credit to Pharrell Williams for yeah. that record? Goodness, yeah. uh, Maroon Five Payphone. Uh, I think a lot of people would be. Surprised that that was a number two hit, and one more night was a nine week number one. Payphone was what the first single since Moves Like Jagger, so it kind of yeah. got that. It had that that random Wiz Khalifa feature. Just sort of. End of the last decade into the start of this one. Before that, too. I don't know if this is maybe on the same level, but it was a number two hit. And for a while, it was his biggest hit, uh, Boyfriend by Bieber. Sure. I guess one other thing, too, that maybe 
makes it look like, eh, say only number two, but uh, because uh, she's had previous number ones from the previous three albums. So once you get on that streak, it becomes expected that you're going to be number one. Mm-hmm. So when you don't continue that, and I, I, I guess maybe it's a little safer to mention this now because uh, Justice 4, but kind of like when uh, Loverboy by Mariah in 2001 ended her streak of first singles going to number one. Uh, it's it's kind of all you can compare it to our, our previous number ones. Uh, if we only knew years later, you know where to go, but down from there. Certainly. Yeah, uh, justice uh, free litter, but still, yeah, number two is, is still huge. Well, and some of the uh, uh, there was one Taylor fan account this week that really got onto that. They were saying, uh, you know, said a week from now Taylor will become the first artist to have four consecutive number ones from four albums since Mariah in the 90s. So they were all, like, they knew what they were going for. The, the, yeah. the history speaks for itself there, certainly. Although, still still historic uh, for Taylor. Biggest uh, biggest single-week jump in Hot 100 history. And that's going to be a tough one to break, let me tell you. There's only, only, only one other single right. to do it, you know? Yeah. Uh, all-time number two hit for me feels like a number one, Dancing in the Dark. Ah, uh, yes. That's a good one. No, I think uh, blocked by, uh, by Wind Doves Cry, if yeah. I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Yeah. Wind Doves Cry deserved, sorry. Well, they, they could have shared. I'm sure when this no. probably had a number one. <laughs> yeah. I mean, no, no, uh, no, no. No one was beating Prince in 1984, so that's fair enough. But uh, yeah, that's, that's certainly an all-time classic. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. All right. So uh, talking about number two hits, let's go back uh, through the archives a little bit. So, uh, yeah, just looking at some of the biggest uh, first singles from albums over uh, the last uh, 25 years, uh, not so much debut hits, although if, if we think uh, that fits with what we're talking about, uh, sure, but just more along the lines of how uh, Taylor Swift coming back again with what we think is the lead single from a new album. Uh, when an artist comes back and sometimes they just they just hit that magic of just the right uh, first song to come back and it uh, maybe is just the right mix of uh, trends at the time or, or narrative or we've been talking about or maybe they, they work with a writer or producer who's just so over the moment and it just uh, creates a huge hit. So and, b- and momentum too. So many, so many. I feel like so many big comeback hits just really play off what the last album did in a lot of ways, which is not a knock, but just to show that you know you were so massive that it can carry over years later, and people are like ready for that next one. You can either do that, or you can throw a complete curve. And mm-hmm. Those are usually the, the two. The two choices. Oh, I'll start, Trevor, with. Uh... With, with that exact uh, uh, style you're talking about, uh, I'll, I'll kick us off in, in summer 1994. It was the return of Boys to Men with I'll Make Love to You. They made their name pretty much with ballads, and they came out with a 14 week number one and then followed that up with uh, On Bended Knee. But uh, they showed uh, that ballads sometimes. Ballads on ballads on ballads. Yeah, that second album sometimes it can be uh, either the sophomore slump or it's the one that fully solidifies your brand. I think that song did. Yeah, I mean, growing up, there was nothing bigger than Boys to Men on the entire planet. That uh, that song was was massive. It, uh, oh, that must be your Philadelphia speaking. <laughs> well, I don't, I don't know how it uh, how it exactly reflected locally, but it certainly, if you looked at the charts, you would have thought the same thing, wouldn't you? There's nothing bigger than Boys to Men, and the whole time you were growing up, when I was first starting to listen to popular music on the radio and, and watching MTV, Boys to Men were the standard. Oh, okay. I don't know what okay. to tell you. It was That's... well, them and Mariah Carey. So I mean, it made sense that they ended up linking up. All right, if we're going to stay in that era, I'll, uh, I'll mention uh, Mariah Fantasy. Yep. Because, uh, because Dream Lovers before, uh, 
or 25 year cutoff, but also uh, fantasy just continued. So no matter what song she'd have put out, would have made the cut. It's a huge hit. It, uh, it, it showed yeah. her, her again, her, her evolution that just continued with every single uh, pretty much throughout uh, the mid 90s, where she just kept going a little bit more hip hop. And I feel like fantasy was much more progressive for that than Dream Lover was. Dream Lover is still much more of a pop song. This one really showed, okay, she, she really is interested in adding hip hop. Yeah, I mean, I love Dream Lover, but, but Fantasy is, is, I would say, if you had to kind of define Mariah Carey's 90s in one song, I think Fantasy is the song. I think uh, that that's it's the one that's aged the best. I think it's the one that that's probably most uh, recognizable to, to pop fans, and it's got an iconic video, an iconic remix. It's, uh, that I mean, yeah, that, that's about as good as lead singles get. And I think you could say that Honey continued things further, but in some ways, she she kind of set what the model was. With fantasy and honey, maybe just didn't have that same surprise element. Three week number one, but uh, yeah, I mean, uh, there's there's certainly no uh, uh, the, the, the success of honey was hardly a consolation prize. I mean, that that was still a massive single, and as was was heartbreaker from uh, from Rainbow after that. And I, I was I was writing about uh, Ryan's use of samples for them for the magazine recently, and it occurred to me just how explicit the blueprint was that fantasy set that then honey and. And Heartbreaker set off the next two albums where you, you take a lead single, you, you find some kind of semi-obscure sample from the early 80s and you, you build a kind of hip-hop inflected song around it and it's Radio Gold and it works three, three times out of three for Ryan. Yeah, um, I'm actually glad you brought up Dream Lover earlier, Gary, because to me, fantasy is like the, like, I don't know, something like, the, like it's more, it's the accessible version of Dream Lover. My only problem with Music Box is, I mean, I think it's a great album, but to me, it, it's almost a little too polished. Like it's a little too... Like we're going to make like the most wide appeal pop star there are. Something about fantasy was just like it's a little edgy. I mean, it's it's in this. I mean, it's in that same kind of mold. Like, and I I mean, without I don't think it's hip hop at all. Without I mean, the remix element obviously is, but fantasy even by itself as the regular pop song is just there's something that's just so I don't know. I mean, whether it's this, whether it's the base of the sample. I mean, even the shoo do 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 do's. Like, it's just the most effortless fun song to sing and yeah i mean i think uh, tandra's point for sure it's certainly one of her best songs in her entire career probably does some of the 90s in a way that's she's still pop but she's fun but she's she's willing to try some new things she's got i mean she's got samples so everything that you like about mariah carey is in that one that one song and I mean, I remember the scene in Rush Hour with little girls in the back seat. <laughs> sing. That, that was the, probably the first time I'd ever heard that song. And I it took me years wow. to actually figure out what that song was. And True. once I did, I was like, yo, this is like, I mean, everything in the little bridge breakdown. It's just, it's just perfect. feels like, and like we were talking about this recently, uh, what a great year for pop 1999 was. Uh, I Want It That Way, perfect uh, for a single, Backstreet Boys. But uh, Andrew, that's I'm guessing that's on your list of, of uh, mid to late 90s. It's one of the great pop singles of our era. It's one of the great, you know, if, if, you're, if you're designing a single for a second album, you want to kick it off with a, with a song that kind of does what, you, does what you were already doing well and just kind of perfects the formula and takes it to new heights. Yeah, it's I Want It That Way. There's no, there's no question. All right, what else you got from uh, mid-late 90s? All right, well, uh... 
I don't think we mentioned uh, Notorious B.I.G.'s Hypnotize. Uh, kind of a sad story, as it turns out, because you know, obviously, you know, he, I think the, the song was just sort of starting to, to bubble up. I don't think it had been officially released, but it, he had started kind of testing it out in the clubs. Uh, and, and, you know, he, he died. He was, he, was, he was gunned down in early 1997 before the, the song could kind of really reach its, its, its maximum impact. Uh, but, you know, even, even if there hadn't been this tragic story and sort of a, a national outpouring of grief and, and, and affection for the Torres B.I.G., I think it still would have taken his career to that next level because it was just an undeniable song. Has, a, you know, Hot 100 DNA baked into it with the, the sample of Herb Alpert's Rise, uh, one of the, the, you know, the greatest choruses in hip-hop history, certainly, uh, I think borrowed from Slick Rick. Uh, and just a, an undeniable video, just just fun and immediately accessible, and actually kind of pretty dark if you listen to some of the some of the lyrics on that second verse. But uh, just the, the kind of song that you know plays once, and immediately the whole room understands what's going on, and uh, kind of has, has, has endured pretty well to this day. And uh, I'll I'll say another one. Uh, and that's by, by, by Trevor's fave Janet Jackson, Got Till It's Gone, which uh, might not have even been an official single. I know there's, there's going to be a little bit of an asterisk there because I don't think it was ever commercially released as a single. Certainly the first video off that album it was the first song that fans heard from it. Uh, not, you know, g- coming off of, uh, of, of Janet period, uh, her probably uh, her, her most... Uh, her most successful uh, album to date in terms of how, in terms of Hot 100 hits, uh, or one of them anyway. I mean, she, she had so many, uh, but coming off like so just just the massive success of that album, and that's the way love goes. And again, and all the big videos off of it, she kind of took a back seat. She, uh, she 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 didn't she didn't come back with with a with a you know she didn't she didn't copy the formula the way that that Mariah did for for the first single off of uh, off of Butterfly. She she went deeper with it. She kind of had the the new soul thing going on. She had the, the ad-libs from Q-Tip and the prediction the, the production I think from 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 Jay Dilla uh, and that that Joni Mitchell sample going on in the background turned that, out to be a big hit for Joni Mitchell. Yeah, no, a, and Joni Mitchell says that like you know kids started coming up here on the street going oh, Joni Mitchell never lies. You know? Yeah, and it, it was a it was an about face for her, but. It was another. It was also sort of like a course correction. It was like, okay, I don't, I don't need to have every single of mine go to number one. It's okay if this one's just kind of an airplay hit, a groover, a song that kind of makes gentle inroads on MTV, but doesn't necessarily announce my presence with authority. It's just a song for the fans. And then she comes back with Together again, right. and that's the massive hit, and that's the one that she still has to perform at every live show. And then that, that's the one that people who aren't necessarily huge Janet fans remember from the Velvet Rope. But God Till It's Gone was just good, I thought. And then in 2001, she – Kind of went back to the formula, and I guess really for for the last time on that big commercial level with All For You sure. and Someone To Call My Lover, she just went right back. Let me make pop songs for everybody. Um, so you got fantasy? Okay, let's – Um, all right, where to start? I'll start with um, – I'll kind of counter Andrew's, Andrew's uh, hypnotize. I actually – and I guess uh, if you want to call it a double-sided single, whatever. Mm. I'm going – of the two songs on that single, I'm gonna say "California Love" by Tupac. I think is a, a fantastic single to this day. If nothing else, because I mean, it, it it kind of actually got to the Diddy playbook a little sooner than Diddy. I mean, just like just took that old sample rework. I mean, this is Dre, Dr. Dre, really doing the production work back here, taking that old sample from an old Zap song, reworking it into this 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 giant anthem. And so many of the G Funk songs kind of had that. You know they were they were they were big hits, well liked, but they kind of had that laid back feel where you're kind of you know a little little a little more mellow, but more sort of more musicianship behind it. This one was just dedicated to be a hit. I mean, the whole chorus was shaky, shake it, you know, while everyone's up there. You just can't not. I feel like you just can't not party when that song comes up. Dr. Dre, I think, has the, one of the best opening verses of any any rap song all time. 
I mean, even though it's a Tupac song, I feel like really Dre should get at least half the credit for making that such a massive, massive hit. And often doesn't get his due as a rapper. People are like, oh, he's a producer and he happens to rap too. But yeah, I agree with you. It's one of the great verses of the 90s. I had fantasy on my list, so I'm glad Gary brought that up too. Uh, I'm going to give a shout to... Everyone falls in love uh, I guess <laughs> no surprise. I was going through the list of number ones that I feel like I have to call out Exhale. If nothing else, I'm oh, going first single off a soundtrack. Okay, well, all right. First single off. A way to get Whitney. It's in an there, album somehow. Only because I, I I keep thinking about this. Like to me, Exhale is probably one of the the best in her catalog. If only because it was something that was finally different. Like the the, the vocal performance on it is a lot more. Rich, I guess, like like for so long we know Whitney Houston sort of power belter. You know, it would it would follow that same kind of formula. The I will always love you, the I have nothing, the then we almost have it all. And Exhale is the first time it kind of like we kind of tone it down and we get a lot more interesting layers to her voice. She really only kind of hits one sort of belt note, and that's that's really in the bridge. But um, to me, there's something that's just like okay, you know, you can you can impress us with the power and the, and the range and all that thing, but. There's something nice about, you know, maybe if you didn't realize how much intimacy, you know, Whitney could bring to to her, her voice. Also, I want to shout it out because um, I, I guess if you want to think of Waiting to Exhale as a concept album, because really every song on that soundtrack is by an African-American woman, great R&B singers, past, present. Um, I just think that, that, that that's, that's, a, that's a neat milestone in a way that probably no other project had brought such a... One, I mean, the talented group. If you look at who's who on that soundtrack, from TLC to Aretha to Patty, Whitney, of course, CC Winans bringing in gospel. Brandy is on there. I mean, just so Tony many Braxton. people. Tony Braxton. See, I didn't. Even, I, Tony Braxton was what seventh? I, I didn't even get to mention her. <laughs> like, and so it's just like just to just to have that array of people. It's probably something that honestly, like, I don't know if it's just, just the way that the industry is now or the way that you know people make up feuds or whatever i mean can you imagine trying to get you know mm. to, to get that many great talents uh, of the this generation together on one project like it was the little dicky earth of its time <laughs> it was the little wow i'm sure exactly what trevor was thinking into the 2000s and the song was uh, number one on the Hot 100 at the end of the 90s and into the 2000s was Smooth by Santana. So when you have uh, Claude Davis uh, figuring out how to, it's not so much a comeback, it, it's almost his, uh, to a lot of people, I'm sure younger people really didn't know much about Santana. So a rebirth. Yeah. Uh, into uh, later in 2000, I'll mention Madonna music because now it, it feels, it doesn't feel uh, that groundbreaking, but at the time it was a really different sound for her to be doing and coming off the the, the softer sounds of uh, Ray of Light with Frozen back in 1998 and uh, sort of like this year we've been talking about uh, the cowboy imagery that Madonna was doing that with the cowboy hat there was a lot of there's a lot of talk about that album and, and uh, again even at that point uh, about 16 years into her career uh, yeah, there was a lot of. Uh, she was still really commanding the conversation. And still, uh, still her final final number one to date on the Hot 100, right? No, don't remind her. Yeah, no, no, no to date, you know, plenty of you know, plenty of time left in the game in that one. But uh, yeah, no, I mean, uh, you know, music is a great call, uh, and 
I guess you could. I mean, I can't remember what, where we were cutting off this uh, this range of, of years, but uh, hung up off off Confessions on the Dance Floor. Yeah, uh, that, that certainly is, is another one of those lead singles that just kind of reminds people what Madonna's good at and what she's always been good at, and uh, has sort of entered her canon as one of the all time classics. Yes. 2003 and 2004, because I think they're pretty uh, just definitive in the entire era. And really songs that uh, they were by artists who obviously established, but I think these are the ones that took them just to the level that made them uh, stars they ultimately became. Crazy in Love by Beyonce and Yeah by Usher. For someone who has as many classic singles as Beyonce does, I feel like not a lot of them have been lead singles. You know, you're talking about Deja Vu, If I Were a Boy, Best Thing I Never Had. Or I'm sorry, it wasn't even Best Thing I Never Had. It was uh, Run the World, right? Yeah, yeah. Off Run four. the World was the first single off four. So, I mean, yeah, th- those are, you know, maybe they're good songs. Maybe they're, they're, they're not some of her best. But I don't, I don't think any of them really enter into her, to the all-time discussion with her. I think uh, if, you're con- if you're considering Formation as one of her lead singles, which I, I think technically you might, you might do that. That's probably you know in the Beyonce canon, but it's, it's sort of a sort of an anomaly. Share her lead yeah. singles have been kind of historically hit or miss. All right, what else you got from uh, early two thousands? So, you know, I think there's a little controversy as to which came first uh, when it comes to Outcast, Hey Ya versus the way you move off Speaker Box to Love Below. But go back an album, Stankonia, uh, first single, Miss Jackson. Certainly, that 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 was the song that blew them up to an entire new universe. Uh, first number one on the Hot 100. You know, they, they'd had some crossover success before. Uh, Rosa Parks, Elevators, you know, never never quite making the top 10. Then Miss Jackson just comes out with that chorus that, you know, everybody's singing back and the first time they hear it. And uh, they, you know, that put them on the map as pop stars, not just rap stars or Southern rap stars. And uh, from there, the decade was pretty much theirs. All right. So for going 2000s, um, just at the cusp of the 2000s, uh, you mentioned, Gary, Backstreet Boys, got to give it to NSYNC with Bye Bye Bye. First single from No Strings Attached. I mean, just once you hear it, it's instantly playing in your head. And I think probably no no single move since maybe like the disco pointing finger has been so like quickly associated with the song. A little like, you know, a little bye 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 wave that everybody was doing. And I think everybody kind of does it in the wrong part sometimes when they do it on the on, on, on the high school dance floors or whatever. I'm gonna let it go. But I mean, just just to have that iconic move alone, you know, suggests that this song Somehow, somehow, still amazed it was not a number one hit on the Hot 100. But it, it feels like it. I mean, like culturally, it feels like it was definitely a number one. It just feels like it was the you know the biggest song of the time. From you know, Backstreet Boys were big, but it felt like NSYNC somehow eclipsed them, even just in terms of their 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 peak popularity. And yeah, I mean, all this time later, you can still play this song anywhere, and it, everyone just just knows what to do. They just get in sync. It's crazy. They get in sync. Wow. Okay. I didn't. I didn't even plan that. It's. It's that. They're that good. They're that infectious. Other than that, I'm gonna soundtrack it again. Gotta give it to Lose Yourself. Eminem. Yeah. I mean, what? I mean, just if anything, and you want to talk about Andrew's, you know, big on sort of the, the, the context and narrative surrounding it. I mean, who would have guessed in 2002 that Eminem had a song like this in him? Everyone, you know, you. I mean, it was so. Out, outlandish and polarizing and he whether he was cartoonish or whether he was being a ghoul or whether he was really saying some of the most you know like demonic sort of you know terrible things that were going to happen to to people in his family and then to turn around and put out this entirely huge positive anthem about going out there getting what you want the minute you have the chance to do it don't let anybody stop you and there was nothing there was nothing you know tongue-in-cheek about it or sorry i mean it was a hundred percent genuine and I just think that that, you know, in itself, like, 
you know, in a way, I think that probably endeared a lot of people to Eminem in a way that they maybe thought they never could be or would never they, they they would like him and think he's funny or you know crazy, but they would never sort of be emotionally attached to him. And you know, in terms of the context of what this song did, you know, the first song to win, first rap song to win the best Oscar Academy Award, be up for uh, song of the year at the Grammys. So just those cultural milestones that he helped knock down too. I mean, just to, and just still after all this time, one of those songs, the hook. What are we? Seventeen years later, still one of the best for sure. And Eminem, you talk about one of the all-time runs of lead singles. You go from My Name Is to The Real Slim Shady to Without Me. And then if you're going to count it as his, then Lose Yourself. That's that's four that we could be, ta- we could be talking about just as easily in this discussion. Uh, then you get to number five, and it's Just Lose It. And maybe that explains you know. why the reception of that song was so tepid, because it just wasn't on the level of those other four songs. Uh, but yeah, everyone that just kind of built on what he had done before and the discussion around him and it, it, no one ever said like, I mean, literally on some of the songs, nobody ever said like, I'm back the way Eminem did. Uh, yeah. and, and so he, he, he was, I think he, he understood the power of a lead single the way that few pop stars in the century have. All right. Uh, going through the rest of the decade, I'll, I'll mention two of them are, are really that, uh, the idea of really putting something out there that is maybe going to confuse people and really could be a total miss, but uh, they both worked. Uh, mentioning in sync, uh, Trevor, Justin Timberlake, sexy back. There was a oh, lot of talk at the time of what, what is this? What, 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 he made a mistake. Why did he come back with something just so strange? Why would he ruin uh, the momentum he'd built up? Maybe, maybe for some people, for me, it, it took a few listens to figure out uh, a lot of listens to figure out what this was. And, uh, he brought sexy back to number one. Yeah, he did. Uh, th- that was a, yeah, it, it was it was a little bit of a left turn. I, I don't. I don't. I mean, it, it feel it felt more dramatic at the time than it kind of feels in retrospect. Uh, but yeah, it, it was it was a song that just kind of it, it it really built on the fact that he was such a big star on the last album, and and there there were things that he could do with a sort of confidence that not a lot of other artists in his lane could. Uh, and so you could say something like I'm bringing sexy back and it wouldn't seem laughable. It would just be like, okay, this, this is, this is the new catchphrase. And then I remember like at the VMAs that year, Al Gore was saying it and yeah. like it got to a point where it's like, where it seemed like, okay, this guy is the guy who's currently dictating the terms of pop culture. Uh, and didn't necessarily last much longer than that, but, uh, yeah, that, that was certainly one of the all time great pop returns. Uh, we've seen this a lot when you come out of a boy band, you, there's always that tendency, well, I got to do something that's way much more adult. I got to show that I've grown up and I can do something a little less bubblegum. So uh, he did that. Totally worked. Going on to uh, 2007, uh, total different way to do it. Just come back with a song that hits people right over the head with the hook. So... Rihanna was obviously established at that point with SOS and Ponte Replay before that, but it kind of feels like this is the song that brought Rihanna to just complete mainstream audience. This was adult contemporary radio. But, oh, we have a song we can now play by Rihanna. This was just uh, pop culture inescapable. There's only one, I mean, one line seals that whole thing. And who, who can do the, I mean, who can do the Ella, 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 A, A, A better than Rihanna? Just like, that to me is also one of those things where, just just the uniqueness of Rihanna's voice in terms of sort of that 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 tone and that sort of I don't know I don't not it's not a gritty voice but it's like it's such a unique vo- vo- vocal that that's one of those things that just seals the deal on that song is nobody can sing that post chorus like Rihanna 
And yeah, I mean, and I mean, cause first when I heard this, I was like, what a, you know, Umbrella, what an, what an odd title. What's this going to be? How, you know, is it going to be corny or whatever? And yeah, I mean, the metaphor is a little, you know, maybe it's a little too obvious or whatever, but it's something about the way Rihanna sings it that just like sells it. And this is one of those songs that pretty famously have been kind of pop passed around for a while. Britney Spears was, I think, probably the closest uh, artist who was going to record it before Rihanna ended up passing on it. And so it just falls into Rihanna's lap. And then you're absolutely right. I mean, it just takes her to to an absolutely next level um, that she's obviously still very much writing. A role, well, well, that she's obviously only continued to grow from and and has never really uh, looked back. But yeah, just just what a what a what a what a great track. Yeah, I think she's she's been lucky to have two of the great lead singles of all time in her career. I and mean, I'm lucky. I'm sure she she had more than something to do with herself. But yeah. uh between this and we found love, yeah. uh, just just yeah. two five star immediate immediate smashes, Yo, immediate all timers. We found love. I gotta I, I gotta play this back again. It, it, it definitely maybe outstayed its welcome a little bit. I mean, when any song lasts that much for that long, it kind of has to to a certain I extent. I think it still sounds great. I think it still sounds great too. Yeah. But uh, I'll play it tonight and let y'all know because I, I think now that you're not hearing it five times a day for a year, you'll 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 be able to appreciate it maybe a little bit better. Gotta get dip, 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 dip. Also, oh, in 2009, uh, the other one, uh, Boom Boom Kind of reminded mm. me of Sexy Back in the sense that I Got a Feeling would have been the total safe first single choice. But uh, got to give credit to artists who uh, decide to really throw a curve. And in this case, it worked. They wound up at number one between the two songs for a record 26 straight weeks. And end up setting the table for the entire EDM era, the Black Eyed Peas. Who, who would have guessed in 1999 that the, the, the people to bring back electronic music to the mainstream yeah. would have been uh, Will I Am and Taboo and them? I'll throw out a, a critical favorite, or at least one that the Grammys were big fans of. Uh, I'm going Dixie Chicks, Not mm. Ready to Make Nice. I'm not ready to make nice. I'm not ready to back down. I'm still mad as hell, and I don't have time to go round and round and round. It's too late to make it right. Um, because, I, I mean, whoa, you are talking about a narrative surrounding the song. I mean, no, no song probably... I mean, just 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 so black and white painted. What actually happened to them? Somehow you don't know. With with what Natalie said about President George W. Bush, which of course is so funny to think nowadays that that would be you know a headline for five minutes on CNN and we'd all move on with our lives. Yeah. But but to just to just to face that so publicly and to you know not only acknowledge it, but then to just to stay defiant in terms of all of that. And, and part of that, of course, was that public opinion had shifted in, in the years between the comment and when the song came out. But I think just the fact they were willing to come back and their, their first single consciously make a stand. It was, so, out, it was so meta in a time when society wasn't quite like that, like it is now. It stood out a little bit at the time for, for being uh, yeah, to be that self-referential. Right, exactly. I mean, and I mean, even down to the parts where specifically, you know, uh, the mom tells the kid, uh, you know, it's a sad, sad story when a mother will teach her daughter to hate a perfect stranger, oh, right, which yeah. was a specific incident that they referenced. And yeah, I mean, you know, to 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 put that back in the face of everybody, and then famously, of course, when they win one of the Grammys, you know, Natalie gives the ha ha so, to show that they won. Just what a, I mean, that in a in a fun way, and I guess in a weird way, that was kind of the Dixie Chick Swan song. Is that everybody sort of we acknowledge them back in our good graces, and you can all exit the stage quietly. I kind of hate that that that's sort of yeah, how it, it, how it how it wrapped for them. They never really got back on country radio or got that same sort of mainstream success again. But at least to have that moment where you know the famous video where they're throwing paint on each other and to get on an SNL and they were just at least for a moment 
okay, we can all heal from this and, you know, carry on. Yeah, it's, it's one of the fast, fascinating pop stories of the last 20 years to me because, like you say, it was both this triumphant comeback and this basically, you know, end, ending of everything. Like, uh, it was their biggest pop hit on the Hot 100, but country radio didn't touch it. Uh, none, none of the previous, none of the singles after that really, really went anywhere to the same extent. And when you compare the sales for uh, for Fly and for uh, and for Wide Open Spaces to to, to taking the long way, it, it's it's a different galaxy. It's the difference between going platinum and going diamond. It's, and, uh, and so so it, it, it's both the, this redemptive, triumphant uh, comeback and and this moment of, of, of really kind of sad humbling for them. And even in, you know, I mean, I'm talking almost a decade later when they're back at CMAs with Beyonce doing that. I mean, they got a lot of, you know, they got a lot of eyebrows. Yeah, the controversy never ends. It's, it's interesting that, yeah, I mean, a decade later, they were still sort of – that the bad girls, the outlaws, just just they were never they were just stained in a way that they're never going to be clean again, and and maybe in I don't know twenty thirty years when they're sort of legacy artists and it's time for lifetime achievement honors or sort of sort of those kind of reevaluations. I, I saw a uh, inducted Dixie Chicks into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame uh, movement building on Twitter the other day. Oh, yeah. you know, I think yeah, we'll I see. mean, it's got to be they've got the rock and roll archetype. It's got to be pretty close to their their twenty five. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see how society looks back at the Dixie Chicks and, and whether we forgive or, or we, we just try to forget or whatnot. But absolutely right that to, to go from being the country darlings to just, you know, thrown out of the, the whole ceremony is so tragic. Tragic, ironic. Yeah. the 2010s, Dan Wilson co-wrote Not Ready to Make Nice, collaborated with Adele on 21, Rolling the Deep. Is there any way to take a f- momentum of a first uh, album and then uh, just uh, multiply it uh, almost uh, exponentially to the point where uh, Adele became Adele with Rolling in the Deep? Uh, it was a good year, 2011, for uh, acts coming back with first singles. Lady Gaga, Born This Way. Talk about you know Adele and building on what she had going on 19. Uh, I mean, to me, it was like a different galaxy altogether. Like I, I, I registered 19. I actually hadn't, I didn't listen to the album at the time. I listened to it much, much later in life. But I, you know, I knew Chasing Pavements. I maybe had heard Hometown Glory, one or two other songs. To me, she was like uh, one of those VH1 you ought to know artists. You know, okay, she she yeah. literally was. She like, was, yeah, Every morning, but, you know, I remember. You know, like, like I, I didn't necessarily think of her as being that far removed from Duffy, for instance. And and then she came back with she was like a club like 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 a club singer like a like I think like an intimate kind of like yeah I just didn't know her story that well at the time but for me she was like a one hit wonder okay maybe she'll come back and she'll get some some VH1 play some adult contemporary play but I, the, the the idea of of Adele as one of the decade defining pop stars never even crossed my mind and uh, it still is kind of mind blowing to me that that's how it went down and that she ended up putting up sales numbers the likes of which we'll, we might never see again. Uh, and it, it's a testament to Rolling in the Deep, the song, and it's a testament to the strength of 21 as an album. And it, it's, 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 it's one of the stories of the decade, for sure. And I think uh, that's what makes Hello maybe more impressive in some ways that she could – She kept it how wrong. Do you, how do you follow up Rolling in the Deep? And to do that with the song that even spent more time at number one and and was such a huge pop culture, it may be, maybe bigger overall. Eh, I'm not going to give it bigger overall. At least I, at the time. At least when it first came out. When it first came out just because like, that, that was, it was the song that everybody was talking about because it was so highly anticipated and because it mostly lived up to expectations. I think uh, in terms of the overall impact pop culturally, uh, Rolling in the Deep, just I, – I don't know if there's ever going to be matching that. Like that, that, that song lasts forever i mean i was working at a, at a pop music blog at the time and every week without fail there was some story we had to write up so and so covers rolling in the deep yeah i've never seen anything like it uh, one other wild mentions from this decade and it, maybe not so much 
de impact the first single a bit more, uh, especially because the singles all kind of came pretty close uh, time wise. What do you mean, Justin Bieber? Yeah, I mean, uh, what do you mean? It's definitely on my list, too. Although I, I did wonder if we were going to get into a discussion about whether it should have been uh, Where Are You Now versus What Do You Mean? Because Where Are You Now did come out earlier and it did end up on purpose. But yeah. I think most people kind of view that almost as like a bonus track on that album. It, yeah. it did seem yeah. like, because uh, it also was on the Jack U album first. So, yeah, it did, did feel like What Do You Mean was, was the, the proper lead single. And, man, uh, like uh, I was working at, uh, at Spin at the time and, you know, it was, it was a staff of six. And then we were all kind of in one crowded room. And there weren't a lot of songs that we could all agree on. That was like the one song we could all agree on. And everybody loved that song. Though it's funny, like you, you don't really hear it as much anymore. It, it seems like it's kind of been overshadowed since by uh, by Sorry yeah. and by by Love Yourself and maybe even by you know Despacito and I'm the One. But uh, it, it feels like that song has almost gotten lost to the sands of time a little bit. It might it might take like a a good TV sync in five years or something to remind people what a great pop song that was. But it, it certainly was. I do think Where Are You Now put him back on the map in a way that 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 made sure that he wasn't going to flop. Yeah. It was a different it was a different direction, a different lane, different artist, different sound. And I think um and that that was, you know, in no means by no means a guaranteed hit. I don't know if they had the same machinery behind it that the later purpose singles. It, it felt would like have. a like a surprise release at the time almost. Like it felt it felt like almost a, like he was kind of testing the waters with it. Like they, it did not feel like the big machine was behind that song. It was yeah. Just, but it, the people took to it. And more so of an accident. Yeah, yeah, an accidental hit. Sure. I mean, just it's like one of those, you know, you, you could see like a like almost like a Khaled album where you have plenty of tracks with guest stars, you just pluck one out and it suddenly becomes this thing. And I know people who you know, I know people who were very much like, oh, I hate Justin Bieber, but oh, I like that song. Like, oh, that song is good. So I, I think that, I mean, that to me, probably the most important song the Bieber's ever put out because that really redefined him. Yeah. What do you mean is, um, yeah, I got lost in the shuffle. And I think maybe it's, even though it was actually a, a, a long lasting hit, even though it was only a number one for one week. Yeah. There's something about sorry and, and love yourself that, that really did eclipse it. Um, I think that's probably right. I think those are probably actually better songs than mm, what do you mean? I don't know about that, but do okay. you? Oh, well, it's oh. close. I, 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 but, well, there was nothing but winners off that album, so no, I mean, it went off to split hairs there. Yeah, because um, I mean, yes, it's, it's a fun summary song, but I guess there's more depth to "Sorry" and and "Love Yourself." And that was a little like, more self-referential as well. "Sorry" kind of felt like uh, that was really him. Kind of apologizing well, yeah. for some of his missteps. Yeah, if you want to look at the, if you want to talk about narrative and, and <laughs> hidden meanings, and I mean both, both sorry and love yourself, mm-hmm. and, and even what do you mean? You know, has some some veiled references to certain individuals who do exist in this world. But yeah, but I mean, in terms of importance of what that set him up for, for sure, you know that that makes the list in that in that way. I think it's just to uh, take it to something really current. I would put uh, maybe the most recent uh, song that really fits this. Thank you. Next, yeah, Ariana. Sure. No, uh, no. I mean, and I, it's funny because we—I I wasn't even really thinking of that as a lead single at the time when it, when it came out. Uh, it was like it was you know like a what, four months after Sweetener, not even like it, it was it was barely even. You know, I think there were a lot of people probably who thought that that was just the latest single off of Sweetener who weren't who weren't super clued into the, the Ariana discussion. I mean, it was it was, it was so immediate. After and like I mean it was it was so immediate that pop radio was still playing breathing and and even no tears left to cry and God is a woman to a certain extent because the, 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 those singles hadn't yet had their entire shelf lives exhausted and she drops this other song on on a Saturday night and she's rewriting the rules of pop music and it was a bigger hit to date and yeah I think it's it's absolutely the the, the, the defining single to end this discussion with. All right. Uh, but, uh, yeah, that's this week's uh, Billboard Sharpie podcast. We'll see what's going on on the Hot 100 next week. Uh, we'll see see where uh, Taylor, me, is uh, in its second week. Uh, you would think 
sales and streams would have the typical second week fall off, but AirPlay is going to keep uh, building. And again, the way Old Town Road is going, uh, it would seem to be a pretty safe bet to keep going. Uh, new Sean Mendes song, If I Can't Have You, will uh, debut somewhere. Eminem and Logic probably in there too yeah. somewhere. Yeah. yeah, that Logic song. All right, so uh, we'll wrap wrap with Nushan Mendes uh, to uh, finish off the podcast here. Also, uh, just uh, chart news. Uh, if you uh, missed it on Billboard.com this week, there's a new chart coming later this year, the Global 100. It's going to be a companion chart to the Hot 100 that measures global uh, streaming and sales from around 180 countries. So it's always kind of been a, a somewhere between a, a dream and a, and a goal to have a chart that could measure uh, uh, consumption in, in uh, different countries. But uh, there's a lot of uh, growth happening with Nielsen uh, Music, the way they're uh, able to track that. So later this year, a new a new 100 uh, chart, the Global 100 on the way. Well, before then, uh, Sean Mendes next week on the Billboard Hot 100. Take this out. That I hate to admit it, but everything means nothing if I can't have you. I can't write one song that's not about you. Can't drink without thinking about you. Is it too late to tell you that everything means nothing if I can't have you? ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Are you a reality TV junkie? Do you ever think, dang, I wish I had someone to talk to about all the trash TV that I watch? Well, look no further, garbage lover, because Reality Gaze is a podcast for you. Hello, I'm Maddie. And I'm Poodle, and we're the Reality Gaze. We talk about all your favorite unscripted shows like The Golden Bachelor, Love is Blind, and TLC's big, messy behemoth, 90 Day Fiance. And if you're driving to work, folding laundry, or just pretending to listen to your husband talk about sports, just put on the pod, and you've instantly got two gay besties spilling all the tea and reading these people for filth. So come at us, y'all. Find Reality Gaze wherever you listen to podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com